Yeah, let's stand in, in honor of the reading of God's Word. This morning we're going to read several passages um, throughout the Scriptures that have to do with the glory of God as this morning we finish the Sola series that we started back in November. Give glory, honor, 
next to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord of God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. pray. Father, we pray that these passages that are just the smattering from your word would be the kind of word that we need to hear this morning to realize who you are and how great you are and how you deserve all our worship and all our praise and all our glory. So Father, bless us this morning. Would you give us ears to hear what you have to say? Would you enable me to speak 
truthfully your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be here communicating truth through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for those who read. Fantastic amount of, of verses. I had a hard, hard time deciding which passages to keep and which ones to cut out. There are so many that worship God in that way. Well, this is the last sermon in the Sola series that we've been on for a little while. Today we're studying the fifth Sola, which is Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And it is the all-encompassing Sola. It completes the first four Solas. We have studied Sola Scriptura. We have studied Solus Christus. We have studied Sola Gratia. And we have studied, studied Sola Fide. Um, we've gone through these things. Scripture alone. Christ alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. And wrapping it up to the glory of God alone. This sermon could be a series for the rest of the year. But today we just want to focus on several things about the glory of God. You have in your notes... Um, several points today. I just want to make three, and I'm going to give them to you up front. So if you're taking notes, this is the time where you get to cheat and write ahead so that you're prepared for the rest. Point one on the front page. Point one is God passionately pursues His own glory. God passionately pursues His own glory. God passionately pursues His own glory. Point number two is man passionately pursues his own glory. Man passionately pursues his own glory. And number three, Christians passionately pursue God's glory. Christians passionately pursue God's glory. That is where we're headed today. 500 years ago, in the time of the Reformation... Lots of things were going on in the Roman Catholic Church that were twisted from the truth. They had started off with good motivations. They had started off with the the need to protect, the need to guide, and they had been twisted over hundreds of years. And part of the Reformation was a reaction to the abuses and evils and heresies of the Roman Catholic Church. Several of these things were images and icons They had so taken over the church buildings, the cathedrals, the sanctuaries. They had taken over places in people's homes that they distracted from the one true God. There were relics going about all through Europe and North Africa that purported to be splinters of the cross, splinters of bones from John the Baptist, uh, whips that had been a part, pieces of the whip that had whipped Jesus. Um, If you watch the movie Luther, which I did in preparation for today, um, which is in our church library, um, you'll see that Luther mocks the Roman Catholic Church by saying that 18 of the 12 apostles are venerated in certain cities in uh, the the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, The castle church in Wittenberg, where Martin Luther taught, contained 19,013 pieces of holy bones. On the proper day, With the proper papal blessing, one could reduce their time in purgatory by 1,902,202 years and 270 days. This was a deliberately confusing message to illiterate people who did not have the scriptures in their own language. The abuses of the priests and the bishops and the pope 
was blatant because the people had no check. There was no checks and balances because the people did not know the scriptures. And so the priests would tell them this was a way to escape purgatory. The saints were elevated to, in sometimes, more important places than Jesus Christ. The Pope was abusing his position as the vicar of Christ on earth. Many, many popes who were priests, who many were former monks, had wives and mistresses and children on the side while they preached to the whole world that being celibate was a higher way of getting to God. Mary was elevated to a place where she was equal with Jesus in playing a part in our redemption. This all diverted glory from the God of the Bible. These and many other things caused the reformers to seek a recalibration of the church back to its, fo- its focus in the New Testament. They wanted to reform the church. In many ways, they had to split because the Roman Catholic Church would not reform itself. And so that is how we have gotten to this series to study the solas that are so important to our day. Not just 500 years ago, not to a guy that has a funky haircut and wears a brown monk's robe, but to us today. So what we need to start with, though, is we need to rewind. Just like Pastor Ron has done the last two weeks with grace and faith, they become Christianese. We throw terms around and we forget what they mean. This is evidenced in our culture by the word awesome. Anything can be awesome, right? Any little thing. I've seen people call really cool pens awesome. It's a pen. It writes on a piece of paper, maybe. (laughs) How is that awesome? I am not awe-inspired by a pen. And yet we use those words. Watch the Super Bowl today. Some of you watch the Super Bowl. Listen to the announcers. Listen to the interviews. And listen to how many times the word great is used. Overused, I should say. Notice as the game goes by, the glory that is diverted from the true God to men. Well, if you look on your notes, I have a question there. What is glory? And just really quickly, not going to do a full word study here, but just wanted to get into what the words actually mean in your Bible. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. Kabod. And it derives its meaning from the word to be heavy. And so kabod means, you think of weighty, something that is that is heavy in itself. It weighs a lot. Um, and not only that, glory can be figuratively weighty. I have a lot of money, therefore it is my glory because it weighs a lot. It can also mean power in the sense that I have more power than you do. And so my power is weightier. The kabod is weighty. It also can refer to the brilliant light. So think when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and he, and he converses with God face to face and he comes down from the mountain and his face is shining so bright that the children of Israel ask him to put a veil over his face. That is kabod. That is the Hebrew word. When we get to the New Testament, the Greek word is doxa, doxology. The verb is doxazo, and there's lots of different ways it can be used. It can refer to brightness. So think of Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus shows up, and this bright, bright light that blinds Paul is doxa. It's blinding light. It can also mean greatness or splendor. Matthew 4, when Satan is tempting Jesus, 
He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he shows them, he shows him the greatness or the splendor, the glory, the doxa of the nations. The last one is it can be met as honor or recognition of status. So when we honor the President of the United States, when he enters a room, okay, that is honoring his position and his enhancement or recognition of status. Usually we, we translate this as fame or honor, the fame of God's name, the honor due his name. When it's used as a verb, glorify, we want to do everything to glorify God, it means to influence one's opinion about another so as to enhance the latter's reputation. To influence one's opinion about another so as to enhance the latter's reputation. So it can be translated praise, honor, extol, The other one is glorify or clothe in splendor and it means to cause to have splendid greatness. Now, side note, we need to be careful that we don't think that because we're giving God glory that we are ascribing to Him glory that He did not have. And now He has more. Oh, thank you for worship. I've got more glory. Put it over here. That is not what's going on. We are recognizing God's glory. That is how The word is used. You have a definition there from one of the professors at Talbot School of Theology. It says, The radiant manifestation of God's attributes and actions and the honor and praise due God because of His divine position, being, attributes, and actions. The definition's there because that's way too long to write down. (laughs) But that is an attempt to define what we mean by glory. Because again, This word is so common. We sing it in songs. We say, oh God, to your name be glory. And and it it comes easy because that's a phrase. It's a Christianese phrase that we're familiar with. So we need to be reminded of what glory is. So that brings us to point number one. God passionately pursues his own glory. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, Glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So my question is, what is the chief end of God? And my answer to that is, God's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Himself forever. And because that is God's chief purpose and the end for which He created the world, when we are created in His image, our greatest desire, our greatest end, our greatest goal is to bring glory to the God who is glorifying Himself and enjoying Himself forever. This comes about in the Old Testament, especially when we hear the word jealousy. Normally that's something we talk to junior hires and high schoolers about, not to be jealous, don't be envious, and go through Proverbs and find some proof texts who can hit people with and make them feel guilty. But in the Old Testament, God calls Himself jealous, and not just as an attribute or a way of being, but he calls his own name jealous. And if you look throughout the, the Old Testament, I would encourage you to look through the times that jealous God is used, 19 times. You can see how God describes himself. In fact, we're going to go look at that. Go to Exodus 20, really quickly. Exodus 20 in your Bibles, second book of the Bible, chapter 20. I'm going to mention a lot more verses in the next 15 minutes So don't feel like you need to turn to them. I will read most of them for you. But this is too important to pass up. 
Exodus 20. The Israelites are in the desert at Mount Sinai and God gives to Moses the, the law. And specifically here, the Ten Commandments. Yes. The first four are very interesting. So look at verse 1. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And here we see God is jealous for his own glory. And a synonym here is his name. He, he wants to protect and elevate his name, his reputation, his worth. And that is described in his name. And that is why he says, do not misuse the Lord's name. That is not just a curse. That is any way that you can speak that misuses the glory or the splendor, the weight of God's name. So when we belittle God by using his name in ways that are not worthy of him, we violate this commandment. And God here is, is intent to protect his glory and his name. Exodus 34, this comes up again. Deuteronomy 4, it comes up again. Jesus, uh, Jesus, God the Father, calls himself a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, this is a very interesting phenomenon. I remember hearing this as a kid and thinking, wait, jealous? Mom told me not to be jealous. My brother got a toy I wanted, and I'm not supposed to be jealous, so why is God allowed to do it? And here is where we run into the fact that God is intent on elevating and glorifying himself above all other things. Because if he did not, he would be elevating something that was less than himself and less than worthy. And therefore, he would not be righteous and he would not be God. God pursues his own glory passionately. He says in Exodus 9 that the reason that he raised up Pharaoh... Hey, Pharaoh, the reason that you are king is for my glory. The reason I'm going to bury you in the Red Sea is for my glory. The reason I'm going to send ten plagues, horrible, terrible plagues on the Egyptians is for my glory. And in Exodus, throughout, he says, I'm going to do this for my sake so that the nations may know, so that the world may know that I am God. In fact, all the ten plagues in Exodus are aimed by God at the false gods of Egypt. You can go do a study on this. And every time there's a plague, the locust, the Nile turns to blood. The gods of the Egyptians that were tasked with those jobs fail miserably in front of God. And he elevates himself and crushes the gods of Egypt. In Ezekiel 20, God says that he's going to act for his name. He's talking about his people who have repeatedly turned to idols and repeatedly turned away. And he says he's going to rescue them. He's going to keep a remnant. And he's not going to do it merely for these people. 
He's going to do it for his name. God is going to protect his glory and his name. Go to Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48. Verse 9. Isaiah 48. Verse 9. God here is talking to Israel and Judah. Calls them stiff-necked and stubborn. Like an ox that won't be trained. And in verse 9. God says this. For my own name's sake I delay my wrath. For the sake of my praise I hold it back from you so as not to cut you off. See, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. That is why in the book of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar looks out at his kingdom and says, Oh man, Look at what I've done. We've got the Hanging Gardens, recently ranked by Time as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. I have done a great job. God judges them in an instant, and he turns into a cow man for seven years, out in the fields, growing hair like a beast and eating grass. The most powerful man in the world. God says, no, my glory, not yours. Amazing thing. You get to the book of John, throughout the book of John, Jesus continues to say that his goal, his desire is to glorify his Father. Glorify the Father. Glorify the Father throughout John. And in that, he also asked the Father to glorify him. Jesus is seeking his own glory and the glory of the Father in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. So an objection could be made. Is God power hungry? Has he got some kind of image problem that he can't handle any competition? Is God a megalomaniac? He just wants more and more power? Well, I don't think so. Because he has it all already. He has allowed Satan reign on this earth to some extent. But if you've been reading through Rooted, the Rooted readings, you saw Satan has to go to God to ask him to do one thing to one guy. And God gives him the allowance there. But why does God do it? For his name. To show his glory. Again, not because, sorry, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Self-glorification is the highest virtue for God. If we don't have a God that glorifies himself and passionately seeks to, then we have no hope. We have no hope. That brings us to point number two, which is where we get into the bad news. Because man passionately pursues his own glory. Isn't that what Satan whispered into Eve's ear? You can be like God. You can know the things that God knows. All it takes is a little bite. And Eve took that fruit. And her idiot husband Adam took the fruit. And they both ate from it and plunged the human race into futility. The the very pinnacle of God's creation, man and woman made in the image of God, now fractured in a relationship The whole story of the Old Testament is depressing. 
Try to read through the Old Testament really quickly in like a week or two, and it's a depressing book. Even when you get to like we are in high school, Sunday school with the life of David, we've been traveling. David's got kingdoms, and he's conquering, and he's doing great, and he loves God. And then Bathsheba. And that's where we're at this, this, this morning in high school, Sunday school. And it's really depressing. Come on, David. You're the Messiah. You're, you're, you're foreshadowing Jesus. And from then on, his descendants continually fail and continually fail and continually fail. And the Old Testament is the failure of idolatry. In Jeremiah 2, God is just outraged at his people who have rebelled against him. They have forsaken the springs of living water that he's provided and they've dug their own cisterns. Cisterns are used in the Middle East to capture water in the rainy season. And they've dug cisterns that are broken and don't work because they're not doing it correctly. God says you're broken. In Isaiah 53, you see, we all like sheep. That is not a compliment. We all like sheep. Right? Have gone astray. Okay, that clump of grass looks good. Oh, that, well, that's good too. Right? Like a dumb sheep going astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the picture is a flock of dumb animals. Instead of having some semblance of hope by sticking together, all going off by themselves. So they can't rely on perhaps another sheep's good idea every once in a while. They're all alone because they've all gone on their own way. Go to Romans 1. We see that man passionately pursues his own glory to his own detriment. Romans 1, chapter 1. Paul's scathing remarks about man and sin. Look at verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them. Stop. No such thing as an atheist. It's plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Invisible. Clearly seen. That doesn't happen unless God does it. God has revealed this. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Exchanged. I mean, go to the store and exchange something. Here's the glory of immortal God. Ooh, a lizard. That's not, an, that's not a good exchange. And yet that is what we have done as human beings. We've exchanged the glory of God for futile things. Isaiah, I forget where this is, in the book of Isaiah, it's a big book, so it's somewhere. Isaiah mocks the people of Israel for chopping down a tree. Timber! Cutting it in half. One half is a great bunch of firewood, and the other half is an idol. And Isaiah sarcastically says, how did you know which side was a god? That is phenomenal. 
Put a stethoscope. Oh, that's the God side. That's the firewood side. He says that is a stupid thing to do. To replace the glory of God with the glory of an animal figurine that you can now buy at Toys R Us. It's, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. And man passionately pursues his own glory. Turn the page in your Bible and you'll see Romans 3.23. Okay, that says what? All have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. The Greek there is lack. We lack the glory of God. We don't have it because of sin. And so man passionately pursues his own glory to his own detriment because it turns him away from God. That is the bad news. The good news is that God sent his son Jesus Christ to this earth to take care of that sin problem. God became man. In fact, Jesus may have looked very similar to Caleb in the back. God needing his diaper changed. God crying. God and man. And Jesus grew up and never sinned. He never sinned. But he was tempted, Hebrews tells us, in all ways that we are. Jesus took temptation to the max and never, ever, ever gave in. And he lived for us and then he died for us in our place for our sin, stepping in between us and God to take God's full wrath on himself so that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed in the scriptures alone, we can have salvation. And if you are here today and you've been playing the church game for 30, 40, 80 years, it is time to give up because you are passionately pursuing your own glory when God's glory is now available through Jesus Christ. So I would ask you this morning to take care of business with God. Point number three, Christians passionately pursue God's glory. Christians passionately pursue God's glory imperfectly. Imperfectly. I'll just add to that. That's not a blank in your notes, but you can add that. Christians passionately pursue God's glory imperfectly. Isaiah 43, 7 says, You were created for God's glory. That is why you are alive. Now, don't get a big head. <laughs> but God created you for His glory. 2 Corinthians 5 says, now that we are saved, Christians, don't live for yourself. Live for Jesus. Live for Him who sacrificed Himself for us. That is who we are to live for. Romans 14, 7 through 8, talking about the weaker brother and the stronger brother and loving each other in a church context, says, it's not about you. Paul said he would give up eating meat if that were what it meant to reach a brother and to keep that brother from sinning. I love meat. Paul was willing to give that up. In fact, Romans 9, Paul is willing to give up his salvation if it meant the, the salvation of his brothers and sisters. An amazing thing. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is, is where we go so often and yet it's so appropriate. 
Paul says, so whether you eat or drink, eat or drink, we do that multiple times a day, all the time. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. So that we can honor God's name. So that we can extol God's name. So that we can be a part of God's glory in that way. We must move on. The last part, how can we practically glorify God? Because this is really cool stuff and it's really theoretical if you don't have the rubber meeting the road. Because we all know this. I didn't tell you anything you didn't know this morning. I, I don't think. Um, this is all very basic Christianity. And we all know it. And what are you going to do with it? That is the question that we must ask ourselves. So these seven points. God used to punch me in the face last night as I studied. They are in no way a comprehensive list. They are seven things that I came up with looking through the scriptures. How can we practically glorify God? Number one, be Bible saturated. Bible saturated. Put a paper towel in the water it is saturated it is soaked then you pick it up and squeeze it and all this water comes out be bible saturated i don't mean that, that i don't know if that means if you get picked up and squeezed the bible comes out but i uh, bible saturated is what we need to be this is what ron talked about for a month and a half sola scriptura scriptures alone that's the only place we're going to find these things that God has revealed about himself. Number two, recognize God's good purpose in everything. Recognize God's good purpose in everything. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That means in graduations and in birthdays and in celebrations and in raises and in firings and in job loss and in miscarriage and in death and in cancer. God is working Good for those who love him. That is good news. Job said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, even though he took away my seven kids and all my wealth. And all I have left are these boils on my body and a nagging wife. Number three, pray. John 14, Jesus says, He answers prayer to the glory of the Father. So don't miss out on that opportunity. Pray. Number four, be humble. Proverbs 25 says, It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's glory. We all know that when someone else is doing it, right? Wow, what is wrong with that person? They are really selfish and self-centered. and whew, We all recognize that. Some of you have bosses like that. I apologize. And, and we see these things, and do we recognize it in ourselves, though? Do we recognize it in ourselves? Be humble. Number five, suffer well. Suffer well. Acts 14, Paul says suffering is inevitable. Second Timothy 3, Paul says everyone who wants to live a godly life. If I asked you if you wanted to live a godly life this morning, I am assuming everyone in this place would raise their hands. So here's a message for us. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So suffer well. 
First Peter 4.16 However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Woohoo! I was persecuted! Acts 5. Read it today and see what the apostles do after they've been whipped and beaten. They have a worship night. Number six, flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual immorality. Flee is not tiptoe, tiptoe away. Flee is run. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. Glorify God with your body. Number seven, bear fruit. Bear fruit. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That goes back to number one. Be Bible-saturated. In closing, Handel and Bach, at the bottom of their works, put S-D-G, Soli Deo Gloria. Bach's organ at Leipzig had S. D.G. carved into it so he would not forget. You musicians are like, oh, don't carve it into the organ. <laughs> right? That would be like me going up to the piano. Right? Nick wouldn't let me, but carving letters in the side of that piano. That was the way they reminded themselves that what they did, the beautiful music they wrote, the oratorios and all these things were for God's glory, not their own. Not their own. Right now we're going to celebrate communion as we remember the glorious work of Jesus on the cross in our place for our sins. And in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, telling what he has received through the apostles, says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Don't stop there. Verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, on February 6th, 2011, in Garden Grove, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is what we are about to do. So let's pray before we remember. God, I ask that you would glorify yourself today among your people here at Village Bible Church. And God, I would ask that you glorify yourself in our jobs, in our job searches, in our studies and in our hobbies and in our neighborhoods. God, in our singleness, in our families, in our marriages, and in our parenting, in our grandparenting, in our earning, and our spending, in our giving, and our saving, in our investing, may we honor and glorify you. May we do the same in our sexuality, in our dating, or courting, in our friendships. God, even in video games, and movies, and texting, and Facebook, and reading, those who are young and those who are middle-aged and those who are old, 
in sports, in vacations, in cooking, in politics, in praying, in fasting, in serving, in teaching, in evangelizing, in discipling, in confronting and restoring, in laughing and crying, in talking and driving, with our abilities and, yes, with our disabilities, in our sleeping, in our clothing, the way we eat and drink and live and suffer and die and serve in this church, God, may you be glorified. And all those things and a million more. So God, as we come to the table and remember the sacrifice of your son, may we do so solemnly, remembering the sacrifice, the wounds, the blood, the wrath. And may we also rejoice because it was done for us and to the glory of God. God, be honored in how we recognize you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.